Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the critical path you need to take when opening up a restaurant. Stay tuned. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So before we begin, I'm going to give you an update, which I don't have a major update because I'm actually recording this podcast earlier than I normally would because I'm doing some traveling, going around doing some public speaking events, and I'm not going to have time to record, so I'm recording this preemptively. But one thing I could tell you that if you want to follow along in the things that that I'm up to, if you want to get some weekly inspiration, leadership tips, chef mindset weekly chef's PSA advice and links to the podcast and other things that I have working, sign up for the chef's PSA newsletter. You could go to chefspsa.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a newsletter sign up there. It's a weekly newsletter that I send out. It's a good way to keep in touch with me. If for whatever reason, chef's PSA gets banned on Instagram, obviously you could find me here. And if I ever do get banned on Instagram for whatever reason, I'm sure I will let you know here on the podcast. Anyway. Today's episode is going to be about a critical path to opening up a restaurant. So I should probably say my experience with opening restaurants. I've opened up, uh, I think, five restaurants, independent restaurants total. Not always as a chef partner. Other times it was as a consultant. I've also opened up probably 20 restaurants within a hotel group and as a corporate chef uh, traveling and and. Um, opening up hotels. I've opened up hotels and I've opened up restaurants within hotels. And then lastly, I would say that I've done only once in my career, but I have done a merger and acquisition with a hotel group where we'd gone in and rebranded a hotel and took over. So I do have experience with openings. Uh, However, I can't sit here and say I am the foremost authority when it comes to openings, but I have more experience than a lot of people now. Granted, if Michael Mina was doing a podcast on how to open up restaurants, then obviously you listen to that one. But if you don't have anywhere to start, I've opened up several, whether we're talking inside hotels or whether we're talking out on the street, I could give you a good starting point. And really what this podcast is going to be about is giving you a critical path. So so I think the first thing that everyone needs to get familiar with is the term critical path. Uh, this is something that I'm going to use throughout this podcast and if you're not familiar with it, here's what it is, basically, in a nutshell. Now, this isn't the uh, the official dictionary term, but whenever you have to complete something, there's an order 
of steps that need to be taken to complete something from start to finish. So starting with step one, all the way through, you know, step 10. And a critical path is that sequence from one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 10 of the steps that you need to take in order to complete this specific task. So uh, it's called a critical path because clearly these things on the path are critical. They are critical to get to the next step and they are critical for the completion of the project. So this is this is just a simple term and that's a, that's a very simple way to explain it, but that's what a critical path is. And like all things that need to be accomplished, whether you're writing a book, you're starting a podcast, or you're opening up a restaurant, you need to have a critical path to stay on track, to stay organized, and to know what you need to do step by step by step in order to get there. So that's what a critical path is. Now, when it comes to opening restaurants, granted, I don't know where you live, and I, I know that my audience is global, but it's predominantly in North America. So the critical path that I'm going to give you is going to be geared towards uh, the United States and North America. If you were opening up a restaurant in the U.S., what would that look like? And first and foremost, I think that what people need to understand is if you want to open up a restaurant, you need to develop a business plan. You need to have an outline of what your restaurant concept is going to look like. Who's the target market? Who's your competition? Uh, what's your marketing strategy? What does your structure look like? What type of cuisine are you going to serve? And are you proficient in those types of cuisines? Do you have funding, right? All these things need to start going through your mind. So the first thing is to develop a business plan. And there's resources online. You could uh, Google business plans or you could honestly you could use AI these days um, to help you create your business plan. But step one, you need to have a business plan. And then you, from business plan, that would be step one in the critical path. The next step would be to raise capital. And I think raising capital is something that I think shocks a lot of people. If you've never opened up a restaurant, how expensive this can be. I know a lot of young chefs sometimes go to culinary school and they're like, why are you going to culinary school? It's like, I want to open up my own restaurant. It's like, great. Do you know how much that costs? And do you have investors? And do you know how to get investors? Like it's, it's not as simple as just waving your magic wand and walking into the bank and they're going to give you money. It doesn't work that way. So opening up a restaurant can be extremely expensive. Now here's a little side tangent story Years ago, I don't know, let's, for the sake of conversation, like 15 years ago, someone had reached out to me because, you know, I was hot shit as a chef and I was on the come up and they asked me if I wanted to come in and they were a, um, they were basically a real estate group and they wanted to talk to me about opening up a restaurant. So I was super excited because, you know, I was, I was a chef, but I wasn't a chef owner. So I went in and I was like, great, these people want to invest in me. And we sat down and uh, they started talking to me about what kind of ideas I had to open up restaurants. And I had a lot of ideas of like, I want to do this, that, and the other. They're like, great location. And so, you know, I basically had a business plan or at least, or at least a concept in mind of what I wanted the restaurant to look like. And I had pretty much thought of everything except the finances. And then they said to me, they said, great, how much money do you have? I said, well, I don't have any money. And they're like, oh, you don't, what do you mean you don't have any money? I was like, yeah, I don't have any money. I thought that's why you guys were calling me. I thought you guys were the, were the money and the backers. They're like, no, 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 go, go get some money. So we get started. So we get some loans going. I said, well, how much money do I need? And they're like, I don't know. Can you raise like $150,000? And I was just like, yeah, okay. So, I mean, it was basically over at that point. I think I had like $100 in the bank at the time. It's like, how am I going to raise $150,000 when I only have like $100 in the bank? Anyway. Long story short is it's expensive to open restaurants, and I think a lot of people don't realize how expensive it can be. So I'll give you some ranges when it comes to opening restaurants. Now, this is not exact, but usually 
Um, a small independent restaurant like a food truck uh, or a cafe or something like that, you're probably looking at anywhere on the low end, $50,000 initial startup cost to probably, you know, on the, on the higher end, closer to 200000 This is startup cost, right? So um, something a little bit more midsize, like a casual or a family dining restaurant, you're looking anywhere from 200000 to about half a mil and uh, maybe up to a mil. And then if you want something more upscale, it's it's usually over a million dollars, right? So usually something that's going to be more upscale is going to be over a million dollars. Um, bigger restaurants obviously require more. So you could be looking at, you know, $5 million restaurants, you know, anywhere from $1 million to $5 million. So now when you think about that, that changes everything. Where are you going to raise that money? Do you have investors, right? So looking for investors is a part of the process. And it's something that... I think a lot of chefs don't think about until later in their career. So if you're the chef of, a, of an independent restaurant or wherever you're the chef of, you should start making relationships with your regular diners, right? Because you never know. Maybe they're doctors, maybe they're lawyers, maybe they're investors, right? People that have money that may want to invest in you later on. Also talking with the restaurant owners, sometimes restaurant groups will give you a part ownership if you are the chef. So something to think about that's that's usually a shorter way um, to find the the funds behind it if you don't have funds. But the fact of the matter is it's going to cost a lot of money. You got to go to the bank. You got to get loans, et cetera. So there are options. You know, you go everywhere from your personal savings, right? So that's that's always in your best interest if you have money. Uh, others people, other people's money is always better than your own money, in my opinion. Um, you get bank loans, low interest rate loans, et cetera. They may require some sort of collateral. Obviously, you need to have good credit. There are um, SBA loans. There's crowdfunding, uh, which is good. But again, do you have a large enough network where you could get crowdfunding, which, you know, when you think if you're raising a million dollars, it's going to be very difficult to crowdfund a million dollars, I think, unless you have a really good story behind it. So think about all those things. I think raising capital might be one of the most difficult parts of opening up a restaurant. So anyway, you go to, if you're in the U.S., you could go to, I think, sba.gov if you're looking at funding and stuff like that. So now, once you have funding and you have a business plan, you need to start looking at locations, right? And location is probably... Uh, one of the most critical factors when it comes to opening up any restaurant, if you're in the right location, it could be a game changer, right? So you want prime real estate. That's obviously more expensive, but you want to make sure that your concept aligns in the style of food that you have is going to align with the location in which your restaurant is. So if you have a high-end restaurant, you want to be in a high-end neighborhood. Um, if you're in a, maybe you have a food truck, maybe you want to be in a food truck park. So make sure that your food and your restaurant concept makes sense for the area that you're trying to put it in. Location is a huge thing. When I was young, I used to think, oh, that space is open. It'd be like a terrible location. It'd be like, I could do great food there. In retrospect, it'd be like, why would I try and do really interesting uh, food in, you know, in a strip mall, right? It, it doesn't always work because there might not be the crowd to support there. So you need to search, research the location, the demographics of the area and all that. The next thing is you need to figure out what type of legal structure or licensing you're going to have. You need to, you need to decide what's best for you. Are you a uh, sole proprietorship? Are you a partnership? Are you an LLC? Are you a corporation? All these things matter. You need to obtain uh, not just the, the the correct legal structure, but you also need to obtain the correct licenses that you need. So let's let's stick with legal structure. And by the way, a lot of the things that you could do now, like there's 
uh, a lot of this can be done online, like on Inkfile or LegalZoom, stuff like that. You could you could establish your LLC or your partnership. They could give you a lot of the documents that you need. Maybe not everything, but uh, Inkfile is a good place to start if you're looking for an LLC. They don't sponsor the show. I need to make sure I say that. I've just used them in the past, and that's that's why I, I bring them up. Uh, however, if Inkfile wants to sponsor the show, feel free to reach out to me. What are some of the differences if uh, LLC versus partnership? So an LLC is basically a limited liability company that gives you limited liability protection. That's it in a nutshell. Then there's a partnership, which is pretty easy to establish, but partners are personally responsible and liable for the business debt. Uh, and again, this all depends on your local city or your local government. So this is something that you need to look at. But while we're on the subject of licensing, right? So it's it's not just your LLC and things like that. You have to obtain other license and permits. So you also need to look at uh, your general business license, your food service license, your liquor license, your sales tax permit. All these things need to be factored into your critical path. So make sure that you have a checklist and you've gone through those and you know you could look up your state's requirements as needed. The next step in the critical path is going to be the lease or purchase agreement. So you need to negotiate or sign a lease uh, or purchase agreement for the location that you choose. And there's some different options. So obviously, if you're leasing a place, it's lower upfront cost. There's flexibility to re relocate. Uh, but a lot of times when you're leasing, you don't have equity and you also don't have control over the property. If you purchase the building outright, or maybe it's a new build, you have much more control. Uh, there are some tax benefits, uh, but it's a higher upfront cost. And also you have the responsibility of maintenance for the building and everything that goes with that. So uh, maybe you're looking at this also from a real estate investment aspect, right? So something to think about because your restaurant, like I think if you've ever watched the movie uh, about the McDonald's guy, he, I can't remember, Ray Kroc, right? So I think it was called The Founder. And he shows how he basically turned all the McDonald's into, it was a real estate business more than it was a fast food business. So maybe that's an option for you. Think about the, the real estate because sometimes restaurants aren't that profitable, but maybe as a real estate deal, it's more profitable. Maybe the bank is more likely to give you a loan. I don't know. That's something that you would need to work out, but those are, those are different uh, things that you need to consider. The other things that you need to consider, again, assuming that you're leasing the space or what are the different types of rent? So there's fixed rent, which is basically a set amount. Everything's realistically predictable. You're not going to have much fluctuations without at least being notified or some sort of um, renegotiation on the contract. And there's also something called a percentage rent, which I think is good. So it's basically a rent. Uh, it's basically your rent plus a percentage of sales, but sometimes it's just a percent of sales if they really want you in the location. But the downside to that is sometimes it could potentially be higher if you didn't really you know, read the fine print. So you're going to need to get some advice on this. Obviously, I, I don't know the type of restaurant that you're thinking about, and there's a lot of nuance in this, but those are just some examples of the different types of rent. So fixed rent or a um, percentage rent is something that you want to look at. Next thing that you're going to want to look at on the critical path is going to be the design and the renovation. So uh, the plan, the layout, the design of your restaurant, you have to consider all the factors, right? The, the efficiency of the kitchen, the location of your dining room, the ambiance, FF&E, which is furniture, fixtures, and equipment, the types of ovens that you're going to use. Do you have a mixer? All these things matter and they all cost money. So again, you're, I'm sure you're working off some capital that you that you have, you have a budget. So is that's that's the difference between like, you know, the off-brand oven and the Heston oven, right? So these are things that you have to consider. 
you have to factor in all the costs that are going with it. So uh, not just the design, right? And you have to hire designers, something that you need to think about. You have to think about things like uh, being compliant. If Again, if you're in the, uh, in the United States, the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, you have to consider that. You might have to hire a contractor to complete the renovations that complies with local building code. So these are things that you have to consider. Next, you have all the equipment and supplies that go into the restaurant. So this is everything, right? This is your kitchen appliances, this is your blenders, your robocoops, your sous vide machines, all of that, your, your circulators, your cryovac, your ovens. That also includes the furniture, chairs, tables, POS systems. All of that has to be thought through, including maybe even opening inventory. So maybe you have, maybe you're going for a very expensive wine list and you need to curate a very, uh, you know, wine spectator award winning list, which is going to be, you know, a hundred grand or something like that. These are all things that you have to consider. All the other supplies, the smallwares, pots, pans, et cetera, right? That has to be, you have to have a, a very good budget when you're doing that. You have to think everything through. You have to work with someone. It's a good idea to work with someone. So a lot of these big companies like, uh, and again, I don't work with any of them. At least they're not sponsoring me. Um, but companies like Trimark, if you're in the United States or Wasserstrom, you know, they could they could help you curate that if you if you could go work with them. The Edward Dons of the world, they're, they're good at that. And also another thing to point out is you could also lease versus purchase equipment. So again, some of the pros and cons is leasing would be lower upfront costs um, and it's easier to upgrade your equipment. You don't own it. Sometimes they work in deals where, you know, the, the repair is less um, or you could purchase it. Again, there's potential tax deductions when you purchase it, but again, it's a higher upfront cost. And then uh, the maintenance responsibilities, depending on warranties, et cetera, things that you have to think about. Next thing is going to be the hiring and the training of staff. So you have to recruit. How are you going to recruit all these people, right? Usually, usually you're recruiting from other restaurants or people that maybe you've worked with in the past. You're calling everyone up, but opening up a restaurant is not easy. You think, and, I, and I'm telling you, I've opened up a lot of places. You think everyone's going to go with you when you go to the new place. Not always the case. Let's say I've worked at a place that had 20 cooks. I might only get four. And I thought the rest would surely come, but you know, a lot of people are set in their ways. They make a certain amount of money. And openings are difficult. And I will talk about uh, once you're open and what to look for in the next podcast. So I want to kind of make this a little bit of, of a series. So this is like part one, the critical path to open up a restaurant. And then part two will be, okay, now you're open. Shit, it's hit the fan. What do you do? So anyway, let's, let's stick with part one, right? So you need to get the staff. You have to include, uh, the recruitment. Are you going to have job fairs or, um, where you're going to advertise, make sure you have a good organizational chart. So you know what the responsibilities are, you have to think about everything that you're going to need from bar staff to service staff to culinary staff to stewarding team, etc. You have to think about all the SOPs that you need to create, employee handbooks, right? What are the rules of the game? And I've talked about this on other podcasts. Think about when you're opening something, you're developing a culture from ground zero, which sometimes is better because there's no bad habits to begin with. But you need to have a plan and you need to be able to execute it. So if you're starting from zero, you have to have something to give them. If not, people will make it up as they go. And then as we move on after that, you have the health inspection. So in order to open, you're going to need some sort of uh, health inspection. You're going to need to schedule it and you're going to pass it. I know many times the health inspector in the openings that I've done, they come, they say, okay, this is good, but you need to correct these 10 things and I'll come back. And then I correct the 10 and they're like, okay, you've corrected 10, but I found some new ones. You need to correct these or uh, you didn't correct that one up to standard. So the health inspections sometimes can 
you know, they, they could be a little bit of a delay and they're constantly pushing back and finding new and new things. And it's like, I, I know one, um, and this was years ago. So like I said, I, the internet wasn't what it is today. It wasn't as powerful, but you know, we were looking at, um, sushi and they're like, okay, do you have a HACCP plan for a sushi bar? It's like, nope. Was like, then you need to make one. I was like, well, where do I start? They're like, I don't know. You need to figure that out. It's like, shit, I've never wrote a HACCP plan for a sushi bar. And I didn't have any friends that had one for me. So I had to, I had to create that same thing with a, um, a lot of places you might need a, a HACCP plan for, cryovac and and cooking sous vide and, and using immersion immersion circulators so you need to think about that if those are things that you're going to do or cook and chill right so a lot of a lot of places will cook and chill so what i mean by that is like let's say you are cooking something and then reheating it later a braise is a good example of a cook and chill you braise something it cools down and then you reheat it you need to make sure you have a HACCP plan for all that because when the health inspector comes and asks you that and you say yeah we're doing that and they say okay great i need a HACCP plan for it and that just slows down everything to go with it, right? You obviously want to check with your local health department um, for inspections and, and licenses, et cetera. So having a good relationship with your local health inspector is going to be key when you're opening up a restaurant. Anyway, moving on, we're going to talk about marketing. So now you're in the final preparations, you're getting ready. It's time to market your restaurant. You, Everyone's in place. You have a concept. The next thing you need to do is like, well, you need to spend money on marketing and that is the reality because you need to have hype behind with what you're doing. So hiring the best marketing firms, especially if you're going to like play in the world of trying to get a James Beard award or food and wine, best new chef and things like that. A lot of that, you need a good marketing team to get your name out there. If not, you're not going to get discovered by these organizations. So having a, uh, a marketing agency, think of them as an advocate for you and your restaurant. They're going to go out there and speak on your behalf to those other organizations about why they should take a look at you. So whether it's putting you in a magazine, whether it's, again, like I said, Bon Appetit or something like that, or the Esquire, Best New Restaurants in America, whatever the case may be, they need to look at that, right? And you don't have those contacts. The reason you're paying a marketing firm isn't necessarily for them to do all this for you. It's because of who's in their Rolodex. It's because they could just pick up the phone and call someone that works at food and wine and you can't. That's why you need marketing firms. And the best marketing firms, you know, that's what they do and they're great at it. They have a Rolodex. And when when a lot of these companies are coming to a city, so when I say companies, I mean like uh, magazines and people, food writers and people that that nominate people for awards, when they arrive in cities, a lot of times what they do is they reach out to the marketing firm that they know and are familiar with and say, where should we go eat? And they say, go eat here, 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 which are usually their clients. So if you want to be in the conversation, you want to make sure that you have a good marketing firm on retainer. And then of course, make sure you have an Instagram page, social media, uh, you're showing the behind the scenes of the opening, the buildup, the, the, the different iterations of the dishes that you're working on. And then you know, time to launch. So that is an oversimplified version of a critical path that you would need to open up a restaurant. So there will be a part two of this. Part two will be once you're open, oh shit, what do you do? So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much. If you want to support the show, make sure you leave five stars. Go to chefspsa.com. You can find everything that I'm doing there, all the books that are written, Kitchen Art of War, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, Line Cook Survival Manual. Thank you all. See you next week and hit the porno music.